This is the last remaining abortion clinic in the state of Missouri. Missouri vowing to copycat a new Texas abortion law. What about Kansas? Gay history becomes a political football. I feel like I've been put back in a closet. And mask defiance reaches new heights. We have a strict dress code. There are no masks at all permitted. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome everyone, I'm Nick Haynes and thank you for joining us on our journey through the week's most impactful, confusing and befuddling stories to keep our viewer Frank happy. He's the one you know who repeatedly emails me about the time we spend on Missouri issues versus Kansas ones. Pilar Pedraza is with us. She's the Kansas Statehouse reporter for Cake TV in Wichita. She's coming to us from the anchor desk where she's about to deliver the news. Steve Kraske has just wrapped up his daily news show up to date on KCURFM and usually wrapped inside a thin plastic bag at the bottom of your driveway. Dave Helling is with us from your Kansas City Star. You know, more than 18 months into this pandemic, how many of us expected we would still be wearing masks? How many of us expected face coverings to continue to be one of the most divisive issues in our metro this week? It even leads to fisticuffs in the Pleasant Hill School District after the school board votes to require face coverings. People were actually throwing fists and hitting each other outside the auditorium. Several sheriff's deputies got on top of that. They were able to handcuff one of the individuals who was getting in the fight. Then more sheriff's deputies arrived. Meanwhile, a restaurant in Blue Springs is now making national news after the owner refused to require masks. And even after Jackson County shut them down, it's reopened now as a private club so they can get around the law that says face coverings have to be worn in places that serve the general public. It's a private meeting. And because of that, you must pay a membership fee. When you enter through the door is $1. We have a strict dress code. There are no masks at all permitted. It shouldn't be a mandate anywhere. It should be freedom. It should be a free choice. So, Steve Kraske, if you pay a dollar uh, and now you're a private club, you can get around all of the COVID rules you like? Well, it appears to be working for Ray's Cafe in Blue Springs, Nick. The question, I think, will become... If this practice begins to uh, take root and spread like wildfire across Jackson County, how will the legislature respond? How will the, the attorney for Jackson County respond? Uh, again, this seems to be working out there. This does seem to be a way around the law. But whether this is going to sit well with uh, elected officials who are trying to deal with a pandemic We'll have to wait to see how that plays out. And they certainly, these businesses have power at their elbow, thanks to the Missouri Attorney General, who has already been telling parents this past week, Dave Helling, that you don't even have to abide by local mask mandates. If a mask causes you any unhappiness, then don't wear one. And I'm giving you legal cover for that. Right, although uh, Jackson County Executive Frank White and Mayor Quentin Lucas quickly put out a statement saying, uh, don't pay any attention to the attorney general and uh, it's clear nick that all sides are going to test the boundaries of these orders in court late last night jackson county said it's going to court to try and close ray's cafe because oh. of its uh, actions in, uh, in in masking uh, that you just referenced so i think the the courtroom battles have begun 
uh, in the middle, Nick, of other confusion about COVID. And the next step of this is clearly going to be vaccine mandates. I mean, these arguments are about requiring masks. But now increasingly governments and businesses are requiring employees and customers to either prove vaccination or prove a negative COVID test. That will be even more intrusive for some people. Uh, President Joseph Biden today is announcing a, a tougher federal stance on all of this. So the, uh, the legal and political confusion surrounding the response to this disease seems to be accelerating apace. We talked about a couple of Missouri examples, but if you live in Kansas, you can't just look and shake your head. Multiple lawsuits filed this week to block mask mandates in schools, including from a parent in the Blue Valley School District who claims the county mandate has interfered with her child's ability to complete schoolwork, interact with her friends, and receive instruction from the teachers. I talked to one school official this week who says that despite large numbers of students now infected or in quarantine, they can't force classes online because they're being squeezed by a Kansas law that now limits online instruction. So if these mask mandates are struck down in court, schools have no choice, uh, Pilar, but to keep kids in the classroom? Well, keep kids in the classroom, or as we've seen some districts, uh Rural Vista, Republic County, Wellington schools, they just had to shut down. Huh, so that really was days. about that was about getting and, around that law then that they couldn't go online. Yes, that's, uh, they could not go online. So they just shut, they had too many of their kids who were sick. So they had to just shut down. Uh, and how do they end up handling that? Well, either they're going to have to tack those days onto the end of the school year or as Wellington has done, extend the length of each school day. Uh, Wellington's adding about 10 minutes to every school day to make up that mandatory instructional time. You know, what's gonna be interesting in how this plays out, Nick, is if more school districts are forced to shut down, they don't have this option of going online. To Pilar's point, if they start adding days to the end of the school year and you get into June, mid-June, even late June, the eruption from families in Kansas is going to be profound because you're suddenly eating into family vacation time, a mm. time that a lot of families look forward to a whole lot. And the pressure on the legislature to rethink this rule, to rethink this law, I think will be extreme. Yeah, that pressure is actually already being felt by some lawmakers I've spoken with. I don't know how many parents. They're just now realizing the impact of what that new law means, and they are not happy. And oftentimes, elections in Kansas go the way of education. It could be a big impact in the coming election. Dave Helling said a lot of the fight right now we're hearing about is mask mandates, but we still have that vaccine requirement that could now be the next battleground. Last week on this program, we told you how local nursing homes were worrying about a mass exodus of staff after President Biden told adult care facilities locally, if you don't require your staff to be vaccinated, you will no longer get millions in federal Medicaid and Medicare funding. Have Kansas lawmakers discovered a new twist to that carrot and stick approach as the governor is touting a new $50 million fund to try and recruit and retain nurses in Kansas. Republican leaders are trying to block the money going to any hospital that requires staff to get the COVID shot. That would definitely eliminate KU Hospital getting any of that extra cash. In science, they say for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If the president can tie money to places imposing mask mandate or vaccine mandates, should we be surprised that some political leaders want to reward places, Pilar, that are taking the opposite approach? We should not be surprised at all. Last session, there was an effort actually to make it illegal for private businesses in Kansas 
to impose what's called the vaccine passport, uh, require people to be vaccinated to come in. That didn't make it out of committee, but there are a lot of lawmakers who still believe that any sort of requirement, even from a private business, should be banned when it comes to vaccines. And uh, they're taking a leaf out of the federal government's page and attaching uh, state funding to it. No surprise whatsoever. Steve. You know, just to point out uh, the effort by the Kansas State Senate president to block that money going to places like the KU Hospital appears to have fallen short in a vote yesterday, Nick. Uh, so I think that effort is going away. For um, now. For now. And we'll, you're taking the words out of my mouth. We'll see what mm -hmm. might uh, come down the road here. All this money is is an attempt to retain nurses at hospitals. Other states are coming into Kansas trying to poach our nurses away because there's such a shortage everywhere. This money is an attempt to keep those nurses on the job going forward. Abortion politics is dominating the news again. This is the last remaining abortion clinic in the state of Missouri, serving more than a million reproductive age women. After the Supreme Court declines to block a Texas law that bans all abortions after six weeks, some Missouri lawmakers vowing to pass a copycat law. Dave Helling, you mentioned at the end of our program last week that this will have ripple effects in Kansas and Missouri. Have those ripple effects already arrived? Well, in Missouri, certainly. In fact, there's a court of appeals case on the Missouri, uh, a Missouri abortion law that is set for about two weeks from now, Nick. So that argument continues in court and it will be important to watch. And already lawmakers on the Missouri side are saying they want to adopt language almost identical to that in Texas. So we'll see that uh, come to fruition most likely in January and February when the legislature meets. I do think there will be a similar attempt in Topeka although the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court's ruling that uh, established the fundamental right to an abortion in the state changes the picture somewhat and, and returns the focus to the office, uh, to the August referendum on what's being called the value, the, both the uh, referendum on the uh, Constitution in the state of Kansas. I do think that interestingly enough, the decision of Jeff Collier to get out of the primary in August may change some of the calculation on the abortion measure because the turnout may be lower than Republicans once anticipated because they thought they might have a competitive governor's primary. So that changes a little bit, but that's where the focus will be. In 2019, there were 25 women from Texas who came to Kansas to have an abortion. Last year, it was up to nearly 300, and there's concern that there will be a huge number of women coming from Texas to take advantage of Kansas law, which many people may find interesting, but is actually one of the most liberal abortion laws currently in the Midwest. Kansas legislature over the last 10 to 20 years have passed a lot of laws trying to restrict abortion access, but they've been challenged in court and the court has time and time again overthrown many of the stricter laws and that ruling that women in Kansas have a right to bodily autonomy, to control of their own bodies, which includes a right to free access to abortions, really tied lawmakers' hands as to what they can do. The couple of clinics in the state that actually do perform abortions, they are bracing for this onslaught, as you said, already uh, on the uptick the last year or so. You know, it's an amazing thing there, just to underscore Pilar's point, this idea that Kansas is now a place to come get an abortion after all the state has been through going back 30, 40 years, the summer of mercy, you know, in 1991, 
all the protests in Wichita. Here we are, and, and the governorship of Sam Brownback. Here we are today. Uh, Kansas has a right to an abortion built into uh, state law because of that Supreme Court ruling a few years ago. It is an amazing thing. If you ask people on the coast what a restrictive abortion state might look like, they would point to Kansas. That is not, in fact, the case. It's been a long time, Dave. We, we've really talked much about abortion on this program, but it could become, again, one of the most defining issues in the next 12 months in our region. I also see, by the way, one of the leading Democrats running for Roy Blunt's Senate seat in Missouri for next year has already made this a huge campaign issue. Scott Sifton, the uh, former state senator, uh, now calling on President Biden to expand the Supreme Court to counter the conservative shift. Is that going to help him or hurt him in a state like Missouri that went still convincingly for President Trump last year? Yeah, I'm not sure it's definitive either way, Nick, but I will say that Democrats do think that the Texas law, the Supreme Court decision, actually accrues to their favor over time. They think women will react to the idea that Roe v. Wade could go away and support Democratic candidates like Scott Sifton or perhaps Lucas Kuntz as well, or any other Democrat who gets in the Missouri race. I think a lot of Kansans would be very upset at the idea of expanding the U.S. Supreme Court. No matter what Kansans feel like uh, about abortion, they are still very conservative in a lot of other issues. Overall, it would not be popular here. Steve. Nick, this idea of expanding the U.S. Supreme Court is not going anywhere. Joe Biden has already walked away from it. As we've talked about certain Republicans playing to their bases, let's talk about a Democrat playing to his base. That's exactly what Scott Sifton is doing here. He knows it's not going to go anywhere nationally. He's trying to win a primary, a tough primary race uh, for the U.S. Senate next year, playing to his base by talking about expanding the U.S. Supreme Court. He's hoping to win some votes here. An exhibit detailing the history of gay Missourians has now become a national story. That after its pull from display on the first floor of the Missouri State Capitol building, several reports claim a legislative staffer complained about what he described as in-your-face banners pushing the LGBT agenda. There are members that I serve with who want to silence that history. They don't want that to be told because they are bothered, I don't know exactly by what, but certainly by the fact that I exist. That's Kansas City Area Senator Greg Razor, who is openly gay. What did they see, Steve, that they found so objectionable? Well, I, I guess to use your words, Nick, they think that this exhibit pushes the LGBT agenda in the state capitol. Greg Razor and many others say it, this exhibit does nothing of the sort. It's simply a history of gay activism here in the Kansas City area, that exhibit put together by students at UMKC. And the governor certainly saying there was nothing to do with uh, the content of that exhibit. And it was really that they were not following the rules, Dave Helling. What rules were not followed? Well, the governor and people around him said, no, you have to go to a specific board for approval for exhibits like this, that was uh, shot down pretty quickly. It's never happened before. In fact, the uh, House Minority Leader yesterday said, if this is the rule, then everything in the museum in the Capitol needs to be taken out because no other exhibits face this kind of scrutiny. And there is general dissatisfaction with the idea that they picked up this exhibit uh, and moved to another building near the Capitol. That's sort of a separate but equal thing. But it's in the Lowman building, which is down the hill from the Capitol next to the Amtrak station on the second floor. About 12 people will come to see that over the course of the next year, unlike the kind of uh, 
crowds you would have had in, on the ground floor of the state capitol. This exhibit has been banished, Nick. No one is going to see this thing. Is the upshot of all of this going to be, well, let's not have any uh, displays at all in the Missouri state capitol? After all, state houses are supposed to be for legislating. Let's not, let's get, not get in the exhibition business, period. Well, I think that's a possibility, actually, Nick, uh, that the, someone might say, hey, look, we just don't need to have this problem in the state capitol. That would be a shame, of course. But there is a potential legal problem in what the state has done here, because if it has moved an exhibit for content reasons, you start to get into a First Amendment uh, uh, problem uh, with the decision that was made, inviting a lawsuit. This controversy isn't going away anytime soon. Of course, none of this would have ever happened in the state of Kansas at the state capitol <laughs> in Topeka, Pilar. I think there would definitely be complaints whether or not it would end up being banished. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, Kansas is also very conservative when it comes to LGBTQ rights, although we do have three LGBTQ members of the legislature. Division of a different kind showing up in a new poll this week, this time based on where you live. Kansas Citians north of the river have always felt shortchanged at City Hall. Now a poll of more than 540 likely Northland Kansas City voters shows 41% support leaving the city. It's certainly brings a brings to attention to all my colleagues the north is very important to this city and they've got to start understanding that that report from michael mahoney over at channel nine that poll by the way released in the same week that mayor quinton lucas announces a new panel to redraw kansas city council districts part of the redistricting process we're seeing playing out across the country now that the new census figures are in dave helling we've heard about this at the state level such as in kansas where there may be an effort to carve up the third congressional district to make it harder for sharice davids to win re-election but what's at stake at this kansas city local level it's very clear that the growth in the Northland exceeds the growth south of the river in Kansas City, and that means districts are going to have to move north in order to make the mathematics work. And when that happens, you will have more Northland representation on the city council. Uh, when I started covering City Hall, there was one district north of the river, one. But most of us, Steve Kraske... are you, Dave Helling? Huh? Man, man, you're getting old, Dave Helling. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Most of us, Steve, are more interested in what's going to happen between Kansas City and the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. They'd be That's probably right. hearing the word redistricting, bored out of their minds, ready to change the channel. Why should people care? Well, it's a tough sell to make a lot of people care about this issue, Nick. It's an insider's game, but it goes a long way towards determining who has power and who doesn't. Let me, let me just say this quickly, Nick. From all this, when, when we went through the police uh, a fight over the police department funding, there were four no votes all north of the river. Imagine if there had been two additional Northland That's members right. of the council, then you have a six to six vote, changes that discussion entirely. That's why it matters. Pilar, it's been about a month now since we had all of those hearings in Kansas, by the way. There were 14 of them all around the state in a very short period of time, some controversy about that. Uh, yet we never heard anything about it ever, ever since then. Did, did they draw up the political maps in Kansas uh, behind our backs in that month, or are we still in the process of deciding whether Sharice Davids, we should make it more difficult for Sharice Davids to win re-election? Well, officially nothing has been drawn yet. That doesn't mean they haven't done some backroom uh, drawing over the last month. As you mentioned, we haven't heard anything from them since, and we won't until they present us with pretty much, I'm guessing, a fait accompli. This is an intensely 
political process. Republicans control the game in Kansas, as Pilar is pointing out. They certainly control the game in Missouri. They're going to do everything they can to uh, make sure that Sharice Davids does not win re-election to another term. It, don't expect a lot of uh, bipartisanship here. This is politics, base politics uh, at its worst or best, depending on your point of view. We're marking two holidays this week. The first was Labor Day, but even though we were supposed to be spending the time celebrating our workers, particularly at this moment of great upheaval when there are help-wanted signs popping up in almost every business, the holiday weekend was also marred with violence. A mass shooting at a Wichita nightclub makes national news. And closer to home, gunfire erupts at the popular Santa Caligon Days Festival in Independence. Four injured there, including three teenagers. I really want to focus on what's happening with workers, but it's hard, Dave Helling, to ignore the crime story that... It's calls now for metal detectors at carnivals, but is that really practical? Well, it may be inevitable. I mean, uh, who would have thought that uh, metal detectors would be uh, common in schools, for example? We said that about the first Friday's event in the crossroads after a woman was killed, Steve Kraske, and yet people go there, there's no metal detectors. Yeah, but, but, but first, Friday's has virtually disappeared as a thing in Kansas City because of that incident. Yeah, absolutely. And the world keeps changing, Nick. And, you know, a lot of people think it's not for the best, given this level of violence. And Dave's right. that they'll, they'll have to find ways to ensure that not anyone can walk into these festivals. It comes down to as long as Americans are not willing to change the gun laws, the only other option is increased defense, increased uh, security. I didn't want to forget about our workers, though, during this Labor Day week. Uh, what is the major trend we still need to be paying attention to, Steve? So many workers, uh, employees from co uh, companies have decided to walk away from their jobs. They're looking at work-life balance in a whole different way. The result uh, is vacancies all across the country at all manner of businesses. Wages have gone up. Benefits for many of them have gone up. And I think a lot of workers are feeling uh, better off today than they were before. We have more power today than we did before the pandemic as workers, Pilar? Almost oh, definitely. I think workers have more power now than they've had since we moved from a manufacturing to a service uh, economy in this country since the 50s, 60s or so. And since then, workers have been losing economic power in, in this country, and now they've gotten some of it back. By the way, we launch a new program on Kansas City PBS next week, and the first topic, the future of work. Hi, I'm D. Rashawn Gilmore, and welcome to Flatland. It's our new monthly show that takes a deep dive into a single local issue that's raising questions, causing tensions, or has gone curiously unexplored. Up first, we take a look at the future of work in Kansas City. In this first episode, we go inside metro area businesses that are trying to navigate the world of work and ask, how will it change for you? We'll talk to the experts and track the challenges that lie ahead for us all. Join us September 16th at 7 p.m., on Kansas City PBS. And that's September 16th. Is next Thursday at 7. Join colleague uh, D. Rashawn Gilmore for that. This Saturday, by the way, we mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11. If you're heading to the Chiefs game on Sunday, you'll see a mobile exhibit honoring those who died on that day in the parking lot. Lots of other events around the metro, including a massive flag display, one for each victim of 9-11, outside the Johnson County main government building in Olathe. But with so much that has happened since then, including a pandemic that has claimed so many more lives, has 9-11 become eclipsed in our region, Pilar? It's certainly not getting as much media attention. Uh, 
But when you go out and you talk to the public, they're aware of it, especially from our generation and older, those of us who lived through it. Now, the younger kids, they're less aware of it, but the schools are really making an effort to teach it to them by bringing in folks who were involved. 200 times more people have died now from COVID. There's no day for that, uh, Dave Helling. Well, there may be some day, but I think increasingly, Nick, I'm writing a column on this subject as soon as we call it quits. 9-11, uh, in my view, was the defining political moment of our lifetime, even more than COVID in some ways. In fact, our reaction to COVID in some ways is a reflection of our reaction to what happened on 9-11, and that is we lost faith in government, really, in self-government for a variety of reasons. And we're seeing that across the spectrum now in our country. Uh, it led to Donald Trump. It may have led to January 6th, and it certainly leads to fistfights about masks and Pilar, by the way, just leaving us. She's doing the news right now in Wichita, Steve Kraski. But I'm just thinking about you in your journalism class at UMKC. I mean, does that even get a passing mention? You know, we talked about it this week, Nick. So many of my students were born after 9-11. They didn't witness what that uh, cataclysmic change uh, impact on our culture and on our, on our society was. Due to a number of circumstances this week, it's become clear we still want to honor those in uniform. The 20-year-old Marine from Missouri was honored with huge crowds as his body was laid to rest in Wentzville, just outside of St. Louis. And many people paid their respects locally to Freddy Cruz. He's the young Overland Park police officer laid to rest after dying of COVID. You usually see a lot of support, which is very, very uh, rare in this day and age for police. But on something like this, you see the outpouring. It's very positive. And when the officers see that, they get very um, emotional. You know, I had the chance, Steve, to talk to uh, Rick Smith, the Kansas City, Missouri police chief, uh, who told me right after the events of 9-11, you could a police officer in Kansas City couldn't go anywhere without somebody wanting to pay their bill. And they regardless, even if they were in the drive through, it would already be paid for. That does not happen today. That's just one big change our country has seen since 9-11, Nick. You're right. Uh, being a police officer today is a very different thing than it was after 9-11. So much has happened. So much violence, but police-directed uh, violence at citizens has changed the equation. And, Nick, the point is that government has, and institutions of all kinds, have fallen out of favor dramatically since 9-11. That includes newspapers, media, colleges and universities, schools, police departments, city governments. We just don't have faith in institutions anymore after 9-11. And that's the, the uh, cause, if you will, of some of the disruptions we've seen, I believe, during the COVID era. And thank you once again, Dave Helling, for allowing us to leave this program on a down note. We really <laughs> appreciate that. We wanted to I be uplifted can, as we head into the weekend. Thank you for that. And that is our Week in Review. Our thanks to Steve Kraske, keeping you up to date weekdays at 9 on KCORFM. And from the pages of your Kansas City Star, uh, Dave Helling, earlier you saw reporter Pilar Pedraza, who is now reading the news as we speak from Cake TV in Wichita. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.